Welcome to the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast. Hope everyone has been doing fantastic. Great weather here in Michigan. Warm, hot, just the way I like it. Not having to see any snow is fantastic. Before we get into today's episode, I want to welcome the 126th country where some downloads have come into the show from. And that is the island nation of Grenada. So to whoever did those downloads, welcome. And it's great to have you here and to join us as we all move through this together. So today I'm going to have a little bit of a longer episode than I normally do, but this is really an interesting article that I came across. It's a study done out of England. It was published in October of 2020, so it's about 18 months old, but it talks about axial spinal arthritis 10 years on, still looking for the lost tribe. And what these researchers have come up with is that there are so many people that are slipping through the cracks and taking so long to get a diagnosis that it's leading to, as we know, a much reduced quality of life. And so they look at it and try to quantify it, challenge some longstanding beliefs, and maybe challenge some beliefs that you might have. So let's take a look at this article published in the Oxford Academic. And again, it's called Axial Spondyloarthritis 10 Years On, Still Looking for the Lost Tribe. Now, the abstract of this is that despite the publication of various recommendations, quality standards, and referral strategies to promote early diagnosis in axial spondyloarthritis over the last decade, there remains a significant delay to diagnosis and leading to a lost tribe of undiagnosed, untreated patients with persistent back pain and axial spondyloarthritis symptoms. So they go on to talk about this review discusses the various factors contributing to the diagnostic delay in axial spondyloarthritis, while providing recommendations to improve the diagnostic pathways, for example, the use of the online spondyloarthritis diagnostic evaluation tool. Significant shortcomings, they say, still exist at both the primary and secondary care levels, with healthcare professionals often lacking knowledge and awareness of axial spondyloarthritis. And then there's still those myths regarding the classical signs and symptoms still prevailing, including the perception of axial spondyloarthritis as a male disease, which only occurring in individuals are HLA-B27 positive with raised inflammatory markers. So these individuals within this lost tribe of undiagnosed patients are likely lacking adequate treatment and they are thereby at risk for worse clinical outcomes. So let's take a look at the article itself. There remains three kind of key messages for this article. Number one, there remains a concerning delay to diagnosis and treatment in axial spondyloarthritis. Number two, there's significant shortcomings exist at the primary and secondary care level. And number three, improved education of healthcare professionals and implementation of early referral strategies is required. So let's look at an introduction to this. Axial spondyloarthritis, as we all know, is a chronic inflammatory rheumatic disease that is characterized by fluctuating periods of both flares and remission. These often result in spinal fusion and significant disability. The term axial spondyloarthritis, which I like to use for this show and I think 
for those of you that are listening to this that are trying to get a diagnosis, that's the term you should be focusing on using. The term axial spondyloarthritis encompasses both AS, ankylosing spondylitis, whereby clear structural changes in the spine and or the SI joints can be observed via x-ray, and non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, whereby axial spondyloarthritis is instead diagnosed from other clinical features and an MRI, and whilst the natural history of axial spondyloarthritis remains unclear, it's evident from follow-up studies that the majority of people with non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis will not go on to develop structural changes detectable by x-ray. Patients more likely to progress to the radiographic might be smokers, male, have HLA B27 positive, and have higher baseline levels of structural changes or raised CRP and or ESR levels. Now, again, some people are going to hear that and get all agitated and upset. Those are just some things that are observed. It doesn't mean that if you're a woman that has non-radiographic that you won't progress to it. It says these factors may contribute to a higher likelihood of moving on. It doesn't mean that you won't. Don't get all upset thinking that, oh my gosh, they're telling me that I'm not going to get it and how dare they. No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying that some of these conditions can lead to a more likelihood of moving on to the ankylosing spondylitis, for lack of a better term. But again, keep it under that umbrella term of axial spondyloarthritis. So axial spondyloarthritis is estimated to affect about 1 in 200 adults in the UK, and that's twice the prevalence of multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's disease. The primary symptoms of axial spondyloarthritis is chronic lower back pain. However, other symptoms such as fatigue, morning stiffness, sleep disturbances, and reduced function and or mobility are often present as well. And this leads patients with axial spondyloarthritis to experience considerable physical, emotional, and economic burden with the mean retirement age of people with AS estimated at 36 years old. Although primarily affecting the axial skeleton and SI joints, axial spondyloarthritis is frequently associated with a number of peripheral extra-articular manifestations, including uveitis, enthesitis, psoriasis, dactylitis, and IBDs. So again, all of these items may be present in some. Some may have all. Some may have none. That's the unfortunately unique aspect of this condition is that we're all going to develop some of these symptoms, but very few are going to have all of them and very few are going to have none of them. Increased delay to diagnosis has been associated with worse outcomes in axial spondyloarthritis. A recent systematic review found that individuals with a delayed diagnosis had higher disease activity, worse physical function, increased structural damage, greater likelihood of work disability, and higher direct and indirect healthcare costs than those who received early diagnosis. And that makes sense because if you're diagnosed early on, you can get on a good treatment plan and help to mitigate some of those things that can cause such greater damage in the future to somebody who's wait, you know, eight or 10 years that it might take them to be diagnosed. So delayed diagnosis is associated with an increased likelihood for a worse quality of life and negative psychological consequences in addition to worse treatment outcomes, fatigue, difficulty sleeping, and then prevalence of psychosomatic disorders. Several factors are independently associated with a long diagnostic delay, including female sex, HLA-B27 negativity, presence of psoriasis, and the young age of symptoms onset. So then the article goes on to look at the mean diagnostic delay in AS has often been reported between 8 and 10 years. 
However, some recent reports suggest that this delay may now be less than six years, although the methodology of one paper has been queried. Uh, this reduction is likely multifactorial, but key factors include the recent implementation of MRI in the diagnosis of axial spondyloarthritis and the 2009 publication of updated classification criteria by assessment of Spondyloarthritis International Society. It is important to note that such criteria are not intended for use in diagnosis. The primary objective of classification criteria is to identify a homogeneous population for clinical trials and research, whereby patients are similarly in terms of clinical characteristics. However, the ASAS classification criteria were seminal in that they formally recognized the concept of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, placing emphasis on early disease and the use of MRI to identify early inflammatory changes and to allow for earlier detection of the patients with the condition and inclusion of patients with non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis in clinical trials. This has been really key in that it's taken the field of AS, it's taken that field of who's got this condition and opened it wide up. And there's more education done with doctors that that time to take uh, diagnosis goes from like eight to 10 years way down as the education level of the primary care physicians rises in there quicker to push you off to a rheumatologist to get you the proper treatment. They go on to talk about despite advances in our understanding of axial spondyloarthritis and improved education initiatives for healthcare providers, a recent survey of 2,846 patients across 13 countries reported that the mean diagnostic delay has remained in the region of about eight years, while an additional UK study published in 2015 found a stable mean diagnostic delay of eight to nine years and a median delay of five years prior to and after the 2009 update classification. So again, when we're still looking at eight, nine, ten years for a diagnosis for somebody, that's too long. It allows the disease to run rampant for too long and allows irreversible damage to possibly be done that you can't undo. The healthcare providers have got to get better at identifying and understanding when those of us with this condition come in the office, what we're saying is the pain that we're dealing with, that we're not searching for medication, that we're not drug shoppers, that it, there really is something wrong there. They need to look at all of these and wrap them together and say, huh, there's something going on here. If, if my patient is in pain, visit after visit after visit, it's more than just a strained back. They go on to talk about axial spondyloarthritis is a relatively uncommon cause of a common symptom. And what they mean is the primary symptom of axial spondyloarthritis is chronic lower back pain. Worldwide, 19% of individuals in the general population, aged 20 to 60 basically, are reported to suffer from chronic lower back pain, and up to 80% of the population experience back pain at some point in their lifetime. In contrast, prevalence of AS and axial spondyloarthritis as a whole have been estimated at between 0.01 and 0.54% and 0.13 and 1.4% respectively. In primary care, prevalence of axial spondyloarthritis has been estimated to between 5 and 24% of patients with chronic lower back pain, or 32 to 71% of chronic lower back pain patients in secondary care. Therefore, representing a relatively uncommon cause of a common symptom. As such, upon presentation to a primary care setting, the chronic lower back pain experienced in axial spondyloarthritis may instead be associated with other more common or well-known 
pain disorders, particularly in the absence of classical AS symptoms and obvious radiographic sacroiliitis. Worldwide, individuals often first present with chronic lower back pain to their general practitioners or other non-rheumatological healthcare providers. So it is vital that the GPs are aware of and able to recognize the hallmark symptoms of axial spondyloarthritis. You know, we mentioned this before, it's really the education of the general practitioners that we see much more regularly for them to help us get on the right path. However, awareness of axial spondyloarthritis among general practitioners, including knowledge of long-term features, axial spondyloarthritis as a disease spectrum, and importance of early diagnosis is lacking. Due to the high prevalence of chronic lower back pain and low awareness among general practitioners and other non-rheumatological healthcare providers, particularly regarding the differences between mechanical back pain and inflammatory back pain, it is unsurprising that the delay to diagnosis remains high for axial spondyloarthritis. So what are some of the lack of diagnostic criteria? Well, age at onset is less than 45 years and type of back pain as chronic present for greater than three months are key to screening patients with suspected axial spondyloarthritis. However, after this screening diagnosis becomes challenging due to lack of validated diagnostic criteria, the aforementioned 2009 ASAS classification criteria for axial spondyloarthritis that were developed to facilitate the conduct of clinical trials and observation studies in early axial spondyloarthritis through the identification of uniform patient populations and help to guide a flexible approach to early diagnosis. So while not intended for use as a diagnostic tool, many practitioners may inappropriately use classification criteria as a surrogate for diagnostic criteria, potentially leading to over- or under-diagnosing of axial spondyloarthritis. Indeed, discrepancies have been observed between diagnosis by a rheumatologist and satisfaction of the ASA classification criteria. So again, it comes back to education. Here in the States, the general practitioners are so busy covering such a wide range of topics that many times they're just not educated in the back pain issues that a patient may present with. So if you don't have a doctor that's willing to listen to you, and I mean really listen, you can be in for a whole lot of further pain as you just continue to have to really push and push much harder to try and get that diagnosis. Some of the issues might be imaging difficulties. Assessment of conventional joint x-rays is challenging and particular concern, the reproductibility and performance of identification of radiographic sacroiliitis does not significantly improve with training. So even as the doctors get improved ability to look at these, it doesn't mean that they're better at looking at them. So well MRIs have transformed axial spondyloarthritis diagnosis and allowed for much earlier detection of inflammatory and structural changes, there remains some debate around what constitutes a positive MRI suggestive of axial spondyloarthritis, potentially leading to overdiagnosis or misclassification if used for diagnostic purposes without context. Also, there can be misleading biomarkers. No accurate biomarkers or immune phenotyping tools currently exist for the identification of axial spondyloarthritis. HLA-B27 and CRP serum biomarkers are commonly used, whereby there is a strong genetic association with HLA-B27. However, not all axial spondyloarthritis patients are HLA-B27 positive, and this often leads to delayed diagnosis in ALA-B27 negative patients. Furthermore, CRP 
despite being a widely used laboratory marker for axial spondyloarthritis and used as a criterion for determining treatment, is thought to be lacking in sensitivity and responsiveness, while the natural degree of fluctuation is not well understood. There was a recent study found frequent fluctuation in CRP levels, whereby 50% of patients with normal CRP at baseline had at least one elevated CRP result within the following 16 weeks. Its use as of one-off diagnostic tool is therefore challenging and may lead to underdiagnosis of axial spondyloarthritis, particularly in those with no signs of inflammation on MRIs yet. Other myths that need to be dispelled are historically x-rays were an important part of diagnosing AS, whereby diagnosis required evidence of significant radiographic changes. This therefore led to long delays from symptom onset to diagnosis. Furthermore, many people with non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis may never develop the level of radiographic change that would have been previously required for a diagnosis of AS. So these diagnoses would have previously been missed despite symptoms and disability consistent with AS. Interestingly, radiographic progression is more evident in males. Therefore, AS was traditionally thought of as a male disease. However, a significant proportion of female patients also suffer from AS. Unfortunately, despite the evidence, common myths prevail. A recent study reported that all interviewed GPs believed AS was almost exclusively diagnosed in men, expressing that practical referral measures would be useful. So again, that leaves women in many cases when they're seeing their GPs at a significant disadvantage when the doctor's not willing to consider all of the likely items that you might be subject to and instead runs off and just says, oh, it's fibro or whatever. So that's something that women are going to really need to push that much harder with their doctors. And I don't have the answer as to how you interact with the doctor. What's the best way to push that with them? I wish I knew, but it's going to have to be that you're your best advocate. The other thing is a delayed referral to a specialist for rheumatological care. 62% of patients reported contacting a healthcare provider within 12 months of developing axial spondyloarthritis symptoms. Therefore, one of the significant delays to diagnosis appears to occur after initial presentation to a healthcare provider, with failures at both the primary and secondary care levels. Evidence suggests that despite various guidelines and recommendations in place relating to referral and investigation of patients with chronic lower back pain, there is often a disparity between guidelines and what is implemented in a clinical practice, particularly regarding referrals of appropriate imaging when AS or axial spondyloarthritis may be indicated. Knowledge, awareness, confidence, and clinical assessments for the signs, symptoms, and risk factors of suspected axial spondyloarthritis among medical professionals in both primary and secondary care is often poor, including among musculoskeletal radiologists who often are involved in the interpretation of imaging results during the diagnostic pathway. This lack of awareness has a major impact on patients. Some report not feeling listened to or believed about their symptoms, while others feeling helpless and withdrawing themselves from care completely, leading to further diagnostic delay. There was a recent study in 2018 that found that although the interval between initial presentation and diagnosis varied greatly, one-third of patients diagnosed in the past five years, waited over 10 years from an initial presentation to formal diagnosis. 
That is crazy. And we cannot, as patients, accept that. We have got to push and make this condition more in our doctor's minds. You have to educate your doctor. You have to push to educate your doctor. That education that you provide your doctor might still not result in you having fixed those past years of delay that you suffered from diagnosis, but you might help that next person that comes in from having to wait eight, nine, 10 years for a diagnosis. And that all starts as we educate our primary care doctors and make them much more aware. So as we go forward, there's a lot more in this article and a lot more that it goes into in depth to talk to primary care and secondary care awareness. I'll have a link in the show notes for you to go out and read this whole article. It is a little dry. I know it's not the most exciting type of item to listen to, but the information in this article is so critical, especially for those that are still trying to get a diagnosis. I encourage you, please share this episode with others, including ones that you know that might not be diagnosed yet or trying to get a diagnosis. Share this with them so that they're aware of what's going on and they're aware of some ideas that they could take to their general practitioner if they've not seen a rheumatologist yet. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a wonderful day, and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.